In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents... Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop story. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny... One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Mark Nisi, to talk about what else, all things voting related and ballot access issues and voting rights issues. And there sure has been a lot of them lately, haven't there? Absolutely. It's every day there's something new with voting rights and voting access. And let's not forget, early voting is underway and people are waiting in lines for two, three hours sometimes because they're so motivated to cast ballots in this election. Let's talk about early voting first. And Mark is our voting rights uh, secretary of state expert who, who covers all things voting related. And we, what we've seen is basically a, a roughly tripling of, 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 of early votes so far, if you count them all, including um, absentee ballots and in-person early voting. And early voting started last Monday. And you've seen hours-long lines, not just in, uh, in the suburbs, but we're also getting reports of hours-long lines in the exurbs and even in some rural areas. Um, so there's a lot of voter interest. What does it tell you? It's really impressive to see voters come out for early voting so much. It's more like a presidential year yeah. than a midterm. Through Wednesday, um, there had already been 223,000 early votes cast in this election, most of them in person, just in the first three days of early voting. Now, what that means, it means people are interested on both sides. Um, who does it help more? It's hard to really say conclusively, but you can tell that many of these new voters, upward of 30% so far, are voters who didn't participate in the last midterm four years ago. And that shows that new voters or rare voters are interested in the election. It also shows that the candidates are getting out their message to vote early. Just because there's this huge turnout in early voting doesn't necessarily mean we'll have greatly increased turnout overall. It might mean that more people are voting early than on election day, and that's more of a change in habits and cultural shift than necessarily um, means that people are automatically going to be flocking to the polls all election season. And that's probably what's going to happen here. And, and this is really interesting because both candidates, but especially Abrams, I mean, Abrams launched an early voting bus tour where she's going around the state. And, and, it's, and it's a very well-oiled machine. I mean, right after she finishes speaking, she's got volunteers with flyers handing out to, to, the, to the hundreds or sometimes, you know, multiple hundreds, sometimes it's 500 plus people showing up to these events handing them out flyers that say exactly where they should go to early vote. And sometimes it's within a short walk. Um, early voting made up something like 40-ish percent, uh, nearly 40 percent of the total ballots in 2014. In the presidential 
um, election of 16, so a much a much more popular, much more engaged electorate, um, it was 60% about. Uh, so you're right. We could end up having more than half the electorate vote in this in this cycle early. But so far, it's really hard to read into those totals, just as Mark said, because A, it could be can- – the early vote could be cannibalizing the election day vote, um, which means that basically – it's not new voters. It's just people who are already um, going to vote election day. As Mark mentioned, about 30 percent of these of these ballots are already new, um, but they're coming from interesting places. One analysis I, I saw showed a big chunk of them coming from tr- from counties that Trump won by 70 percent or, or more percent. So those you could insinuate those are Republicans. Then again, you also have a lot of new Democratic voters. That's entirely part of Stacey Abrams' strategy, which is getting out these voters who ne- never vote in midterms and rarely vote in presidential elections to come out and support her in this campaign. Absolutely. And both campaigns are doing this. The um, as, as you mentioned, the Abrams campaign, that's a big part of her formula for potential success is to reach voters who didn't participate in the previous elections or previous processes. But the camp campaign, too, absolutely wants to get his voters out to the polls the, any vote that you get today is a vote you don't have to get on election day. So the more votes that are cast now, that's a vote locked in for that candidate. Yeah. And one of the reasons why, I mean, it's especially important to Kemp is that Democrats typically, you know, it's not always a, a verbatim, but I mean, it's not always set in stone, but they typically win early votes because Republican voters tend to be older and more, um, more, more engaged with, with tr- sort of traditional voting habits, like voting on election day. That means if there's bad weather or if there's a sickness or whatever, if there's some sort of emergency and they can't vote, um, it could be, it could be more challenging for, for Kemp's campaign. Um, so he's trying to engage voters too. And, the into early voting. And what we're seeing right now is, you know, the, the typical places um, where you'd expect or having the biggest early voting turnouts, we're seeing it in Atlanta suburbs, Fulton, the Cab, Cobb County, Gwinnett County are all among the leaders of early voting. But if you go a little further down, you see counties like Columbia County and Cherokee County and Forsyth County, counties that are very, very red, also having thousands of voters. Um, I heard that in Cherokee County, there was lines out the door, not just Monday or Tuesday, but three days in a row, at least, of hours long wait. So they're having some of the same rush that, that Cobb County's um, having. So again, lots of surge, lots of early interest doesn't necessarily help one candidate or other. Um, but we'll see. We'll be looking more into these numbers, especially as we get a bigger subset of, of statistics um, to read into them what we can. If nothing else, it shows that people are excited about this election more so than a normal midterm. And that's entirely driven by the governor's race. Yeah, it, it really is. And um, and if you're Stacey Abrams, you are enth- you, you have to be enthusiastic about this because if if she can get some somewhere close to presidential turnout um, levels for for her supporters, then Brian Kemp um, could very well be in trouble because there's substantially higher presidential level turnouts, of course, the midterm turnouts. And her entire campaign is trying to kind of close the 230,000 ish vote gap. Between Nathan Deal and Jason Carter, that's been the gap for the last couple election cycles. Um, if she can drive up those voters, and she she's identified hundreds of thousands of left-leaning voters who don't vote in these elections, if she can get them to vote in this election, and Brian Kemp doesn't do the same on his side of the ballot, um, then we've got a whole new uh, <laughs> a, a whole new regime in, under the gold dome. And I wonder if we'll see a dynamic like in the Karen Handel John Ossoff race, where people got so much information about the race and got so 
into it and heard so much about it and were told to vote constantly. First, it was in the initial round mm -hmm. when we had, what, 18 candidates. Yeah. Um, John Ossoff came very close to winning outright. 40%. And then we saw more Republicans get mobilized and con and consistently vote in the runoff. And then it turned out for Handel winning. Um, it certainly goes both ways. When one side gets mobilized, so does the other. That's exactly what happened in, in the special election. Uh, Democrats were definitely engaged. They were definitely looking to send a message to Donald Trump with a candidate, John Ossoff, who ran as a make Trump furious sloganeer. Um, so, but Republicans got equally energized and that's the danger. And that, that, that's one of the, that's the danger for Democrats here. And that's one of the things we're very closely watching because yes, Democrats, there's no doubt, especially up where, where, where the AJC is located in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, there are a lot of energetic Democratic voters, a lot of really close state legislative races in the House and the Senate that could be flipping. Um, but also, if you go outside of Metro Atlanta, if you go to rural Georgia, uh, the, Brian Kemp was in a town called Rhine, Georgia the other day. 250 people, uh, population of 250 people, 400 plus showed up for Brian Kemp in this small little town. Um, again, you know, hard to read into crowd sizes. It's always dangerous to do that. But it just gives you a level of the energy, too, there on the other side of the ballot. And by the way, Stacey Abrams has zero problem drawing huge crowds, even in Republican areas. Uh, she was in Milledgeville, which is one of the swingingest counties in Georgia. It's Baldwin County. She drew 500 plus people, uh, uh, most, a lot of them college students the other night. Uh, same thing in Statesboro, home of Georgia Southern University, Bullock County, huge turnout. I was down with her in, in the city of Brunswick, which is in Glynn County, a very uh, red county. Um, where she attracted a couple hundred people on a sweltering Tuesday morning where it was 90 plus degrees and everyone was fanning themselves and hiding under the shade of the trees. Still a huge turnout on a Tuesday morning for her. So you're seeing, you're seeing lots of energy on both sides of the ballot. That's what makes this race kind of fun to watch. Absolutely. And now because everybody is voting and voting rights has become a big issue in the race. And we've heard about several controversies just in the last few days surrounding voting rights issues, where every day there seems to be news about um, allegations of people being turned away from the polls or having their ballots rejected, in, especially in Gwinnett County. That was news. We keep hearing about all the voters whose registrations have been canceled or purged from the voter rolls over Secretary of State Brian Kemp's turn term in office. We've heard about all these lawsuits being filed. I count five now active lawsuits about voting rights or, or our election system. And speaking of our election system, there are ongoing concerns that our electronic voting machines are safe and secure and whether they are vulnerable to hacking. So all of this is playing into the campaign where you have Abrams saying and her campaign saying, here are all the ways that it's difficult to vote. You need to fight that by going out to vote. And then you have Kemp in the camp campaign saying, no, this is Georgia's law. This is the way it works. We are not suppressing votes. Look at all the number of voters. Look at the number of registered voters. That's something that we've worked to do is increase voting rights access. 
Um, so it does play to both sides. This is something of an in- inevitable clash. For all you Georgia political observers out there, you all know this, but Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp have been feuding over voting rights in court uh, around Georgia under the Gold Dome for the better part of the last decade, long before both of them announced their runs for governor. Um, so this was a clash we knew was going to happen. Uh, it's one that's playing out not just on the campaign trail right now, but in messaging and flyers and in ads and also in the courtroom. There's, as Mark mentioned, five, at least five lawsuits. By the time you hear this, there might be more. And, and it is, it sets up this, this elemental battle. Uh, Stacey Abrams says that there's rampant voter suppression going out there, but she has to walk a fine line too because she does not want to discourage her supporters from voting because there is there 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 was a lot of misinformation over the last week about people being rejected and blocked from voting. And the last thing she and her campaign want to do is send the message out that, that people shouldn't bother trying to vote because they can't cast a ballot anyway. So you've seen her try to start pushing back on that. On the campaign trail, there's a lot of talk about the 50 – there's a lawsuit that was filed – uh, involving more than 50,000 voter registrations that are pending because they, because, uh, Brian Kemp's adherence to this, the exact match law, which you can talk about in a little bit. But Stacey Abrams says, yes, those 53,000 people, um, should go out and vote and they're gonna, uh, they're gonna have their ballots counted. But she also says, let's go out and get an additional 53,000 voters who weren't already planning to vote to make sure that we, we, we have more than enough support to make up for any issues that you might have. Um, so that's part of her, her messaging. His messaging is that here, here are Democrats again trying to steal the vote, trying to gin up a manufactured controversy and, and playing it to try to appeal to national media. Um, so he's also using this. Uh, he's pivoted us other messages as well, saying that she's trying to support illegal, uh, illegal immigrants voting and, and, and also attacking her about her comments about agriculture in Georgia. Um, but essentially, he's trying to use this to mobilize his base to a degree as well. Right. And when I talk to voters, I can see why this is a big issue for both campaigns. If voters get turned off, a lot of them, you know, regular voters, consistent voters, they will always go to the polls. But a lot of the people on the margins, the middle ground, the undecideds, the people who are newly registered to vote, they're the ones who are most easily disaffected. They're the ones who might get disgusted with the candidates or disgusted with the voting system and the hurdles that they perceive to voting. And so both sides have to try to counter that to try to win over these this key group of voters who aren't their most reliable supporters. Exactly. Stacey Abrams calls it, in her words, the miasma of fear. Uh, which is basically, um, you know, the, just the perception that there is some sort of restraint, some sort of block on on voting, even if it's not even if it's not there, is enough is sufficient to to keep some people home. So she's trying to prevent that. Let's talk about that that issue um, because there was a lot of uh, national attention on the pending votes, and some of it was flat out false, um, uh, saying that 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 African Americans couldn't vote. And Democrats here in Georgia have had to push back very strongly against that for that for the very reason we talked about before, which is they didn't they do not want voters staying home because there's a perception that they can't vote. First, let's talk about what it's not. Um, these voters have not been blocked. We've seen that language, and that is not correct. These voters, if they are who they say they are, if they are legitimate voters who have some sort of photo ID, which is required under Georgia law to cast a ballot in person, they'll be able to vote um, if they show their ID and if their ID at least somewhat closely matches their registration information. 
So, yes, they will be able to vote, and that is true. Now, there are also some voters on that 53,000 list who maybe aren't legitimate voters, um, non-citizens, for example. If you're not a citizen, you're not eligible to vote. But the vast majority of them are, or at least appear to be, real people, many of them who weren't previously registered to vote, um, and they have... They were supposed to be contacted if there was a problem with their registration and told to either fix it. You can fix either fix it before the election or even on election day. If you do show voter ID on election day, they can try to match you up right there at your neighborhood's precinct and you can participate in the election. But the whole issue of having voters whose registrations haven't been processed makes it seem like there's some kind of problem in with registering to vote in Georgia. And there may be, but really it's a function of the system of how Georgia is set up, where we do have this law that says that voter registration information has to exactly match what driver's license or social security records show. And that stems from this very, it's a long running debate that somewhat culminated in 2017 with this new law that said there has to be an exact match that has to, um, the, the voting record has to exactly match, uh, uh, you know, some sort of form of, of state or federal ID. Um, that means a missing comma, uh, a missing hyphen, uh, could be subject to, to, um, a pending voting status. And, and voters have 26 months to clear that up either in person or at the ballot box or whatever. Um, right. Correct. Um, and so that means that Georgia already has a voter ID law. So that means voters who might be pending. And mo- I'd, I'd wager that m- the vast majority of voters who are pending might not know they're even pending under the status. Um, well, they were supposed to receive notification um, when they're placed on pending status. County election offices do send these notifications and say, here was the issue with your registration and contact us to fix it. And the voters I've talked to, most of them have okay. received those notifications. Now, whether they've responded to them and rectified it depends from person to person. And of course, if the issue with your registration is that your address is wrong, then you might not have received that mailing. Or people might have received the mailing and thought it was junk mail or just put it in the trash, right? Um, So you can't guarantee that people have actually been notified, but they were supposed to be notified. And those letters do go out from election officials telling them to correct these issues if they want to be registered to vote. So a block of voters, let's just say a block of voters who don't, who don't realize that they're on the pending status, they show up to vote. You have to show up in Georgia to vote with a photo ID anyway, uh, thanks to a, a 2005 law that was upheld in court about a couple years later. Very controversial law, a whole separate debate. But anyway, you've got to bring that ID anyway. Um, and the rule is if they substantially match, uh, if your records substantially match the voter registration form, um, then you can uh, th- then you can vote as a regular ballot. If not, you have to cast a provisional ballot, which puts you through a different sort of hurdle. Uh, you have to come back and prove you are who you are, but you can still cast the ballot that that, that for you if you are who you are. Hopefully, still gets to be counted. That's a whole other story. Um, but so Brian Kemp's campaign in, in his office says that this is a ginned up controversy that all as long as you are who you say you are, you can still vote. 
Um, and I think they're going to be starting to push back even more aggressively on that front, saying that some of the 53,000 or so voters uh, were not legitimate, were made up names and, and had multiple errors and, and things like that. So we'll be delving a little bit more into that, too, if that's the case. Um, Stacey Abrams' campaign says, sure, there, there's also that law that says that as long as they substantially match, there is that valve. But what if county registrar, what if county officials aren't properly trained on that? So there's a worry about that. And trust me, once once we get to election day, you'll see lawyers fanned out everywhere. You'll hear all about voters who might have these problems. And the AJC will also be reporting all about those issues to make sure that voters are informed about what their options are um, if they are turned away or if they do have any problems at the ballot box. Yes, absolutely. And precinct workers or poll workers, at least one or two in each county is supposed to be trained on verifying this information. Now, everyday poll workers, the low-level ones you might see at the poll, they're trained to look at your photo ID and make sure it matches. But if there's any question, they'll, they're supposed to escalate that to someone who does have more specific training on certifying registrations. So that is supposed to happen. We'll see how well that's enforced. I do think there will be observers at precincts across the state to make this a very close-watched election to ensure that it is administered properly. And there are always problems. I'm sure we'll hear about them uh, leading up to election day and election day as well. And we'll cover them as they come up. Yeah. And that's just one of the, the many controversies that are brewing up these last few weeks. We've we mentioned earlier five different lawsuits over absentee ballots and, and signatures and, and cross-check standards and all, a whole range of things you can read more about in the AJC. But essentially, there's there's just a lot of back and forth right now. Not all these will get heard before, uh, probably won't all get heard before the election. I don't, I don't know. Um, we only have at this at the time of this taping, we only have one court hearing, right? One court hearing for these lawsuits. Um, so rest assured, no matter how these are, are, are debated and, and concluded, this is going to go on through 2020 and maybe even 2022. And what you'll see is if Ryan Kemp's office wins, he'll claim victory. But Stacey Abrams or, or, or other um, voting rights advocates will also say this, explo- this, ex- this exposes more problems in Georgia's elections. So you'll hear a lot more back and forth from both campaigns and both candidates over these voting rights issues the last few days. The issues in these lawsuits, there are several different and distinct issues. There's the exact match issue and the pending voter list involving 53,000 voters whose registrations haven't been fully activated. That's one issue that's being litigated. Another involves um, voter purges and the number of people who have been removed from the voter rolls for very clear and longstanding reasons, such as death or moved out of state or been convicted of a felony, but also um, from being inactive in several elections over the last few years, and that was upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court this summer. Then there's also an issue with mail-in absentee ballots being rejected, sometimes because election workers say that a signature doesn't exactly match what they have on file, or that they didn't the voter didn't write the name of the county in on the part of the form that left a blank for the name of the county, or sometimes because maybe Foreign language speakers, especially Spanish speakers, might have been confused by the layout of the form, which is a little, it has a lot of words and a lot of blanks to fill in. I can understand how that could potentially happen. So there are 
a lot of issues here from purges to the exact match law to absentee ballots being rejected because of some blank not being filled in or some information being filled in incorrectly. And that doesn't include even one of the biggest biggest controversies that recently popped up. And this has nothing to do with either Brian Kemp or Stacey Abrams, uh, but this was this, this was – this is something that happened in a, in, a, in a local county level, but it got a lot of national attention because, uh, because it was somewhat jarring, very jarring, I should say. And it was the site of about 40 African American elderly, um, residents of a, of a county run senior center, um, in Jefferson County, which is a county in East Georgia, a very sparsely populated rural area that is actually blue county. Uh, it went for Hillary Clinton in 2016, who were all, um, who were in, in participating in a, a Black Voters Matter event run by a, uh, a, non, a nonprofit outside group that would come in and was mobilizing voters um, to go to uh, an early voting site. And Mark wrote about this, and it's gotten tremendous national attention. What happened next? Well, what happened is first um, we had these voters who were told, no, don't get on the Black Voters Matter bus to take you to vote early. We'll bring you Later, And that brought national attention to Georgia yet again into this election where people are saying, look, this looks like you're keeping minorities from voting. Um, Now, many of the reports we heard are that it was a disincentive to vote at that time, but these voters are um, motivated to vote anyway. But still, you did have a government official or series of government officials tell these residents at a government senior center, get off that bus that's taking you to vote. And there's footage of it from this group called Think Progress, which is a liberal um, uh, media outlet that shot footage of these seniors all very, you know, they were dancing and excited and and celebrating um, outside the bus before they got on the bus. They go on the bus and basically um, one of the organizers of, of the trip gets on the megaphone and says, uh, you guys have to leave the bus. They're, they're not letting us go forward. Um, we heard later on from the county uh, essentially two different things. The first is that they, they were wary of, of letting seniors at a, at a county-run facility um, go with an thir- unknown third party. And secondly, the county does not cannot back any sort of overt political activity, and they viewed this as overt political activity because one of the organizers was the local Democratic Party chairwoman. Um, so that's their response. But, but you know, as Mark mentioned, um, there's a lot more involved in this. There's going to be, I, I guess, an investigation. Stacey Abrams mentioned that on the campaign trail, that there was an investigation ongoing um, into, into what, how this happened. And as Mark mentioned, um, these voters are very mobilized. Most of them have already voted by now. Stacey Abrams actually went the day after um, to this to a parking lot right around the corner from the senior center to talk to some of those voters who told told her, rest assured, we will be voting. This won't stop us. But this is being used nationally as an example of of what critics say is voter suppression. And um, again, mobilizing Democrats to vote. By saying essentially, don't let don't don't let anything stop you from from get your access to the ballot box. It's another news item that um, feeds into the importance of voting in this election. And certainly, I think all sides hear that message loud and clear. And examples like this, even at the local level, um, really drive that point home. 
And the best advice we can give you voters, if there's any sort of confusion, is just be an informed voter. Check out the AJC's coverage of all these voting issues. Go to the Secretary of State's website and other and and, and voter uh, voting rights websites to make sure that you have access to the ballot. Um, no matter what, go to the ballot box. A worst case scenario for you is you have to cast a provisional ballot and and prove who you are later on. But the worst thing you can do as a voter is believe any of the misinformation out there about not being allowed to vote. Because again, both sides, Republicans and Democrats, um, are pushing back against that narrative. Uh, you are, they, they do not want people staying home because they worry that they, they will be blocked from voting. Building on what Greg said, um, check your voter registration information online. It's on the Georgia Secretary of State's website. It's called the My Voter page. Just type in My Voter page Georgia in Google. It'll bring you right to it. You can see if your registration is active, it'll give you a notification. If your registration is on pending status and what you need to do to fix it, you can look up sample ballots. You can see your polling places. You can check the status of your absentee by mail ballot if you've done that option to see if it has been processed or if it's been rejected for any reason. Well, that's all for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter, along with all of our stories and updates on all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. It really means a lot to us when you do. And as always, thank you for listening. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.